Let's uh, turn to Genesis chapter 50 as we bring the lights up. And uh, the, uh, the confidence that comes from Jesus and who He is and what He has done and who He has made us and who He's making us into, uh, we just cannot put enough value on that, you know. The confidence that the one who uh, is our advocate, the one who is there, uh, seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us, that uh, taking our prayers and echoing those things, affirming those things, uh, He is the one who uh, pleads for us and is there with us and um, is guiding us along as we go. And so what a great sequence of songs and truths to get us uh, um, moving tonight and thinking tonight and united tonight. Um, if you have your Bible and you're, you found your way to Genesis chapter 50, it might seem kind of random, um, and that's okay. Uh, tonight is going to be the first of just a two-part deal where we're going to look at the life of Joseph. And um, back in 2007, uh, I talked about some of these same ideas and um, I've just been thinking about this story a lot, and um, just for a long time, and the verse we're going to look at in just a few minutes has kind of haunted me, because it's it, it haunted in a good way. It contains so much depth and truth, and it's just such a challenging thing. And so um, I went back and listened to the podcast from 2007, which is a huge, terrible mistake to make, if you are me. Um, and so, uh, anyway, so I've borrowed some of those ideas, and I kind of pressed through and kind of made it, and... Um, so, um, this Sunday and next Sunday, we're going to look at, th- at his life, and particularly, we're going to deal with um, how, you, how you process the hurt that comes your way. Either the hurt that has come your way, the hurt that is going on now, the hurt that is to come. Um, maybe it's yours, maybe you're walking through life with someone who's just dealing with a lot of pain that's been caused. Um, I think there's a lot, of, a lot that we can learn. And... We need to to all understand that I mean hurt is a part of it's a part of how sin broke the world, and hurt comes from like it's, a, it's directly tied to the fall of man. And when when Adam and Eve sinned and everything changed, their um, their relationships were all fractured. You know, your relationship to yourself was, was fractured. Your relationship to other people was fractured, your relationship to God was fractured, your relationship to creation was fractured. It, it impacted everything, it, it bent things, it separated things, it caused these problems. And so the hurt that comes our way, whether it's from people, uh, you know, maybe, maybe parents, maybe siblings, maybe close friends, maybe co-workers, maybe bosses, maybe whatever, uh, hurt that comes from, from people, hurt that comes from circumstances, uh, sometimes you just find yourself in a situation and there's no one to blame. It's just, that's just kind of where it is. Um, and, and even, the, even the, the hurt that exists within ourselves, you know, our frustrations with ourselves, our own insecurities and fears and patterns we can't seem to break out of. And, and that just seems to like pile more hurt on because we, we just think that we're terrible people or something and we just can't break out of stuff. Um, even the hurt that, uh, if we were to be really honest, hurt that we feel that God has caused toward us. Um, all of those, those times when we experience the pain that life brings, it all is traced back to sin. 
And even the fact that we would blame God for stuff, you know, even that's like sinful in there, you know. So we need to understand uh, that, that the hurt that is caused to us, it's a part of the fallenness of our world. And you may have heard people say this over the years, that hurt people hurt people. Uh, so you are hurt, and then you hurt someone else, and then it's just like this kind of, it's bouncing all around everywhere. Um, and you, you might be in the midst of it now, it may have been something that you've suppressed and just tried to forget about, you know, a long time ago, or... Or, you know, who knows how this will kind of land with, with you. Um, but I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to keep it light because it's not, you know, I'm not going to try to make anyone cry or anything like that. But that's okay, and that's encouraged, and that's good. But we need to, to really get to the place where we're ready, and we want to confront the hurt that has come our way. Because being wounded might be one of the most paralyzing things for us in terms of walking in the fullness of what God has. You think about people who are, who are wounded emotionally, uh, physically, the abuse uh, that, that you've been through, the betrayal, abandonment, um, all the different things that can come from all those different sources I just talked about. And how sometimes it just leaves you where you just don't want to do anything. You don't want to move forward. You don't want to serve anyone. You don't want to worship the Lord. You don't want to walk in truth. You don't want to do anything because it has this way of leaving you wounded. And if you don't tend to it, the wound just... It, it gets infected and it festers and it just becomes this whole big thing. And so sometimes that is what keeps us from walking in the abundant life Jesus offers us. is a refusal to deal with the pain that we've been through. And so we're going to look at Joseph's life and see if there's some things that maybe we can pull from, from that. So let me, let me give you a, a quick overview of, of his life. Because it's actually, if you go to Genesis chapter 37 through 50, it's like all about him. And if I were just to read the whole text, we'd be here. We'll be here a long time. So let me, let me summarize a little bit. Joseph was the 11th son of 12. And he was the favorite. And his brothers knew it. So if you imagine the sibling rivalry that exists with 12 dudes all growing up in the same house. The 11th was treated as though he was the firstborn. So in this culture, firstborn, that was like the, that was prime time right there. And so he was treated exceptionally by, by uh, their father, Jacob. Um, and when I say Jacob, that's like the Jacob, like uh, the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, that dude. And so Jacob um, had such favor on Joseph that he gave him a, a special coat. You know? So if you went to Sunday school, you might remember like the flannel, flannel boards, you know, and you had Joseph and he had a, pr- a pretty colorful coat and everyone else had a drab tan colored coat you know um and so he got this special code and his father was not holding back on the favoritism which may exist in your family and i'm sorry if it does but um that's that's how he grew up he had these uh he had these two dreams about uh his brothers bowing down and worshiping him and probably not a very smart move but he decided to tell his brothers like hey i had this dream and you guys are all bowing down to me how cool is that they already don't like him. He's not helping his case any. Uh, he has these dreams, and that's one of his gifts. Is he is uh, God allows him to interpret dreams, and so he tells his brothers this. There's this jealousy that's there. One day they're out in the fields, and they're just they've had enough, and they're like, let's just let's just kill him. Let's uh, let's let's kill him. Let's take his pretty coat. Let's put some blood on it. We'll go back to father and tell him a wild animal got him. And uh, stuff like that. And then the brothers are kind of uh, debating, with him standing there, of course, debating what to do with his life. And then one of them is like, no, let's just let's throw him in a pit. 
and we'll get some like ghost blood or something. We'll put it on there, and or you know we'll 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 make up a lie to Father, but let's not kill him. Let's just throw him in a pit, and we'll just see what happens. Then some traveling merchants come along, and so they decided to basically traffic him. They're like, hey, we'll sell you our little brother. And so they sell him to these traveling merchants, and they go back and they lie to their father, and it's just this, this thing. And so Joseph has to deal with, one, 17 years of being favored over all your siblings by your dad, and there's really not a lot you can do about it, to the point where he embraced it and was oblivious to it. Then he gets to watch the, his own brothers talk about killing him, and then throwing him in a pit, and then sell him for you know this amount of money. He travels. Uh, these merchants are headed into Egypt. He gets into Egypt. They sell him to a guy named Potiphar, who was a government, a high-ranking government official. Uh, Potiphar quickly recognizes that this kid has some serious discernment and some giftings, and so he puts him in charge of all kinds of things. And uh, Potiphar had a wife, and Potiphar's wife thought Joseph was a nice-looking kid. She tries to make a move. He rejects her. She sets him up and gets him thrown in jail. So he's risen to a, to a very powerful position. Now he's in prison. He's in prison with a couple other people who made some, made some bad choices. And, uh, but the jailers recognize, like, hey, this kid's, this, this kid's pretty sharp. He's got some gifts. So they put him over. I don't know what you're over in a jail, but he becomes like a leader among the prisoners, you know, for a while. There's a, a guy that's in the jail he's, who's a baker, and there's another one who's a cup bearer. And these two guys have dreams that they don't understand. And Joseph says, I'm pretty good with dreams. Uh, this is what it means. This is what your dream means. This is what your dream means. And then they both came true. And one, uh, one of them was restored to working in Pharaoh's house. The other one was killed. And so when both of those things happened... Everybody kind of paid attention. Like, this kid, he's spot on when it comes to dreams. So Pharaoh has a dream. No one can figure it out. So they go get this kid out of jail. They're like, hey, what do you think this dream means? And uh, Pharaoh had a dream that Joseph interpreted as this. He said, for seven years in Egypt, there's going to be great prosperity. All the crops are going to produce just, just tons and tons and tons of food. So, but then there's going to be seven years of famine where there will be nothing. So what you need to do is you need to store up all the grain and everything during the seven years of prosperity so that you can survive, your, so that you and your nation can survive through the next seven years. And Pharaoh is very impressed with this. And he, once again, can see the giftings in this kid. So he takes him out of jail and basically makes him his right-hand man, right-hand man, his uh, assistant. So Joseph is now over everything in Egypt, uh, basically right next to Pharaoh. He's second in charge. And so they go through the seven years of prosperity, and there's all this food, and they're storing it and storing it and storing it and storing it. Joseph is overseeing that whole process. And then uh, at the end of those seven years, the clouds go away, and the land dries up, and there's no more food, and so they start going to those stockpiles. And so now he's overseeing the distribution of all the stored-up food to the nation of Israel. Not only the nation of Israel, but it was throughout the whole land. And so people heard, hey, there's, in, in Egypt they have grain. And so people were traveling from all over the world, were going to Egypt, because they had stored up food, and so that's where they could get it. So two years into this famine, these, uh, these ten jokers walk in, and uh, it's his brothers. And uh, due to the passage of time, he, they didn't recognize him. 
And so they're asking for food. And he personally apparently dealt with every, everyone, especially from the outside, who wanted food. They don't recognize him. So he leads them through this series of, of, of testing them and, and all this, this kind of thing. And you just have to read it. There's a lot of details there. Um, but eventually there comes a point where he, he sends all the uh, Egyptian officials away and looks at him. And he says, guys, it, it's been a while, but it's, this is, it's me. It's Joseph. I'm your brother. Is our father still alive? What's going on? Um, and they kind of have this restoration, reconciliation kind of moment. Um, he says, go bring everything from back home. Bring it here. I'm going to establish you here in the land. He, he puts them in some of the best land that uh, Pharaoh was over. And uh, so all their family survived, and their people survived, and their legacy continued. And he was able to be uh, like... Uh, rejoined with his father as Jacob's life came to an end, and that's how this, the story ends, is everything is okay. So this, this guy, we're talking about hurt. I don't think for a second that all hurt is the same. So please don't hear me trying to put everything in this one category. Okay, Your feelings being hurt by your friend are not the same as someone being physically abused in their marriage for 20 years. Okay? I'm not saying that, those, that they're the same. However, I do believe that the process by which we work through our hurt can look the same for everyone. Now Joseph, he, was, um, he grew up favored, then he was betrayed and literally sold by his brothers. He rose to prominence, then was thrown into jail, and then rose to greater prominence, and his brothers came in, and he had to confront the... I mean, to think about, think about being sold by your very brothers when you're 17 years old. Think about going to jail. Think about traveling with these merchants, and you don't know the, the fate of your own life. Think about, um, think about the pain that that would have caused relationally. And then one day, the very people who caused this pain for you walk in, and they need something from you, and they don't even recognize you. So dude had some hurt that he had to deal with. And if you look in Genesis chapter 50, look at verse 20. The culmination of this story, he lands in this really amazing statement. In talking with his brothers, in their restoration, uh, restoration, restoration moment, he tells them this. He says, as for you, you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. He looks at those who caused him all this pain, and he, there's, there's two big things happening in this verse. One, he's acknowledging the evil against him, the hurt that was caused, the sin that like, contributed to all this stuff. And he's also like able to put all over that, as greater than that, the good that his God was able to bring about. That if, if Joseph were not in charge of the food distribution in Egypt, they probably wouldn't have stockpiled for seven years. If he hadn't had the, fa- the favor of the Pharaoh, Egypt would be starving just like everywhere else. That now many people are alive... And you tra- trace it all back down to the sins of his brother. 
So I think the challenge is when you're dealing with hurt, like how do you how do you get to that point? How are you able to say, yes, this was terrible, and yet God has done something beautiful with it? And get to where you embrace both the terrible and the beautiful at the same time. I think it's really, really, really hard to do. But the way that Joseph was able to do it is the same way that you and I are able to do it. So um, in working through this, I'm like, okay, how do I, how do I organize this into something you know, thoughtful? And uh, I'm going to resist all my pride and the things that I hate to do. And much like the show Sesame Street, uh, this sermon is brought to you by the letter T and the number three. So there will be three points, and they all start with the letter T. And it is painful to say that. However, maybe, it's just a personal thing, maybe the fact that the sermon is brought to you by the letter three and the number T will help us to remember some things. All right, And they rhyme, so bonus right there. Okay. Three things that I think we learned from Joseph. The first one. first one is, is it's just, it's time. It's time. I'm going to move over here because I don't like, I don't like that. Okay. Um, the first thing is, is time, all right? He had had, he had had 20 years or so since being sold by his brothers to be able to see the, the pathway forward of everything that happened. I don't think it's true that time heals all wounds. So please don't hear me saying that. I believe that Jesus heals wounds. But he usually does it over a long period of time. That when, when hurt happens, in those moments, you don't, you don't have that Genesis 50 verse 20 perspective. You're not immediately like, well, so-and-so meant it for evil, but God means it for good. You know, God's going to do something great with it. Most of the time, when you're hurt in that moment, you're just kind of, you're shell-shocked, you know? And you're just trying to get through the moments. And a lot of us, especially the more severe the hurt is, you kind of just put it in a compartment, put the lid on it, put it in the back of the shed, you know, and kind of forget that it's there. But I believe that time helped Joseph deal with some things. And that you and I are in similar situations. As much as we want answers right in the moment, it's usually not how God works. And if, if hurt came your way ten years ago, and it's been in a compartment in the back of your like mental shed, and you're just now getting to where you're ready to deal with it, just because 10 years has passed and it's been locked away doesn't mean that now enough time has passed where you're there. You know, Sometimes it's, it's years of, of praying and thinking and working through that. And sometimes you have to sit down and kind of map it out. Um, when I was listening to the podcast I, uh, from 2007, I, I just referenced the, the first church I ever worked in. Um, and it's just, it's weird, it's still, even, it was weird to hear myself talk about it. It's weird for me to talk about it now, and, and to try to do so respectfully is, is a challenge still, but, um, so I was 19, 20, somewhere in there, I was doing music at this church, and 
Uh, when I went to the church, they didn't have a pastor. They didn't have a staff member. It was just me. And so at 19, I led my first business meeting. I'd never even been to a business meeting. And they're like, well, you're the staff member, you know, lead the business meeting. So I was like, all right, how do I call the church to order? It was just the weirdest thing. We voted on stuff. I wasn't even a member, but it was just strange. And so, um, and I, I did that for a while when I, when I was in college. Over the course of time, a pastor came, and I loved this group of people. They were incredibly kind to me, especially to be, relatively speaking, like a kid who had no idea what he was doing. They were so just kind, and they loved me, and I loved them. And during my time there is where that was when I took my first step toward ministry at all, like, it, like vocationally and stuff. It's where I wrestled with uh, what am I supposed to do with the rest of my life, and then that pathway led me this way. Um, and long story short, the pastor came in one day, and he said, hey, this Sunday is going to be your last Sunday because uh, they, and I'll, I'll say this very humbly, but he, he, said, he said, people like you, and so they're not really in a hurry to go find a permanent person for that job. And so as long as you're here, they're going to like kind of drag their feet. So we're going we're gonna, to, this will be your last Sunday, and then that will motivate us to find a full-time person. And that made sense to me. It was still hurtful, especially when this was a Wednesday night and the, this coming Sunday was it, you know. And I said, well, when do I tell people? How do I tell people? And they said, we'll handle all that. And uh, on that Sunday, at the end of the service, the pastor said, hey, just want you all to know this is Josh's last week. He's decided to focus more on, his, on school and the, his ministry at the BCM. And so y'all be sure and hug his neck before you leave. And I was like, at first I was like, no, no, no. And then I was like, wait a minute, you lied to them. Like you, you lied to them. You lied to you. You lied to them. You lied to them. And so the hurt one, like it was enough to have to like leave these people. And it was kind of weird to feel like I got fired for doing a good job, which that was kind of weird too, but. Then to be lied about, and then I didn't know if I, can, do I tell people? Am I able to say, that's not really what happened? And, you know, like, no, you don't, you don't go against the pastor, right? And so there's, uh, which is not how I feel now, by the way. But, um, so, there was so much there, and it was, and I, I remember, I, I remember going home, and I didn't know, I couldn't really feel like I could talk to anybody about it. I didn't know, I feel like I could be honest. People came and they hugged my neck and they were like, "Oh, we're so we wish you would have told us." And I was like, "Yeah, me too," you know. And uh, and so, as a twenty-year-old, I had no idea what to do, what to do with that. And some of you might be sitting there being like, "Well, that's not very hurt. that's not very hurtful." It was very hurtful to me. It was very wounding. And. In the moment, I had no idea what to do. A year later, I didn't really know what to do with it either. And for years, it was just kind of one of those things where I just felt weird about it. Anytime I would run into someone from that church, I would feel weird. Anytime I would uh, hear anything about that pastor, even to this day, I feel weird. I hope he's not here. <laughs> Let me scan the room. Probably should have done that up front. If he was here, I would have an issue. It would be difficult, like, interpersonally. So going back to the passage of time, 
in 2007 when I preached on this, I think it, I was able to look back at 19, it was like 97 or so when that happened. So I had about 20 years to reflect on that. Not 20 years. 10 years. I was not a math major. All right, back off. Um, I had 20 years. Uh, I had 10 years. Joseph had 20 years. But after 10 years, here, here's, here's what I was able to see. I went from that church to Zor, where I was a youth ministry intern. Now, raise your hand if you came from Zor, if you ever went a Zor person. All right, bunch of, good. All right, so I was at Zor, which is my home church. Youth intern there. Then I went to Parkview. Raise your hand if you ever were Parkview. Anybody? Parkview? All right. And at Parkview is where we started this thing called The Ring, which was a Sunday night experiment, basically, to try and reach college students. And then from there, we planted as a mission church, a church called The Ring Community Church. Raise your hand if you've ever been a part of that. Okay. All right. Good. Okay. And now, now here we are. All right. So here's what time has taught me. I go back to when that happened to me in 1997. And I, I'm, I'm not going to label that as evil, all right? But it was very painful to me. From there, I went to Zor, to Parkview, to The Ring, to here tonight. Along the way, I taught at Central High School. Some of you guys were there. Along the way, I worked camps. I've done these different things. Now I can look back, and as much as that was hurtful, I can see how that just led to this, which led to this, which led to this, which led to this. And the goodness of God in caring for me then and moving me to here and moving me to here and moving me to here and being connected with people from that first church, plus you guys from Zor, plus you guys from Central, plus you guys from from Parkview, plus you guys from The Ring. I would not trade that. And if that is what it took, you know, like if that was God's like... um, uh, yeah, I'm going to let this happen, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt him. But yet, God sovereignly knows, but yeah, but then I'm going to open up this door, and then I'm going to open up this door, and then I'm going to open up this door, and then I'm going to open up this door. For me, I would do it all again. I would maybe do some things differently, but I would do it all again. Is that what Joseph is saying here? Uh, maybe. Is that what you should say? Should you, whatever the hurt was, should you say, I would do it all again? I, I don't know. I think in some situations, yeah, you could probably be like me. Of like, it was all worth it. It was worth it to know all those people along the way for me. For you, you might go back to that pain and say it was not worth it. That should have never happened. I hope it never happens to anyone ever again. That's fine. The thing is, over time, what made the difference for me was letting, letting God show me Show me over time the stops along the way. Show me the progression of events. As a 20-year-old, I couldn't have seen it. As a 30-year-old, it made more sense. And standing here today, it makes even more sense. So in working your way through hurt, time is massive. Okay, Let time pass. See what God does with the hurt that has come your way. All right? The second word, I'm moving along, I promise. The second word is uh, tears. We're going to put some verses on the board, on the board. We're going to put some verses on the board. I'll stand by my statement. Here's some, here's some times where 
the emotion of Joseph got the best of him. This is in 42, uh, verse 23. It says, they, they did not know that Joseph understood them, like his brothers were kind of like talking amongst themselves. Um, for there was an interpreter between them. Uh, so Joseph is hearing them talking. They don't think he can understand him, and he gets overwhelmed. Verse 24 says, Then he turned away from them and wept. And he returned to them and spoke to them. He took Simeon from them and bound them before their eyes. In uh, 43, verse 29, so he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. And then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out. And controlling himself, he said, Serve the food. And then Genesis 45 Verse 1 says, Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud, so that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers couldn't answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. Joseph, he had to, he had to come to terms with the emotional... Uh, weight of what had happened to him. You cannot do that if it is in a compartment in the back of the shed. You have to be ready to be, you have to be emotionally honest with yourself and with other people about the hurt that has come your way. If that means crying, you need to cry. If that means being angry, then you need to be, you need to be angry. Emotion is not, a, it's not this evil thing. Sometimes our emotions, they play a role they aren't supposed to play, yes. But God is emotional. Being made in His image, we are emotional. Our emotions are a part of what is being redeemed in us. And so, when we're hurt, we need to be able to react to that. And so I think there's an encouragement here. I don't think it's coincidence that three times we see Joseph overrun with emotion about being confronted with those who hurt him the most. And he just has to step away. Because he didn't want to lose his composure, you know. So if, if you are, are processing your way through hurt, and there's something in you somewhere that says, I shouldn't cry, I can't cry, I won't, I won't let that person win, you know, or whatever it might be. Let me, let me discourage you from discouraging your emotions. It's okay. God, God made us to healthily express what's going on within us. And those things are very telling. So, for me, the fact that, that the, what happened to me at that first church like, still kind of riles me up, that tells me that I'm not, I'm not like, hey, I'm all healed and all better from that. You know? I still have some things... To work through. I still have some frustration that's there. I still have not processed my way through that enough. Time, enough time has not passed, and I have not like, gone after it enough. But I'm, I'm less angry than I was in 2007 when I preached about it. I'm way less angry than I was in the moment at the time. You know? So our emotions are good. They're healthy. They're important. They tell us a lot about what's going on inside. 
They don't drive us, but they are great indicators. And we have to understand that God is there crying with us. That he meets us in those moments. If you grew up in a, in a house where one of your parents or both of your parents like, wouldn't let you ever cry, and they would say, you know, dry it up, none of that here, you know, that kind of stuff. Boys don't cry, men don't cry. That's not, God's not the same way. God's a, he's a weeper. He's compassionate. He's merciful. He, he, he runs to those who are, are in distress, and he is with them in that. And so time passing, that's a big one for Joseph. His tears, his emotion, his, his willingness to just like, be honest with himself about the pain, uh, the pain that caused him, that's another big thing. And the third thing, the third uh, T word, is, uh, is theology. That our theology becomes really, really important. Sometimes we tend to throw it out the window when we're, we are in crisis or we have pain and when, when others have hurt us, when circumstances of life have hurt us, when God has hurt us, whatever, we want to throw all this stuff out the window. But that's, that's actually when, when we need to be digging into those things all the more. Um, in uh, again, don't turn to it, but in Genesis 45, Joseph said to his brothers, verse 4, he says, Come near to me, please. And they came near. He said, I'm your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. Said, so, yeah, yeah, you sold me, and you, that was pretty dumb. <laughs> that hurt a lot. However, his theological perspective is that, well, really, God was just—he was just sending me ahead of you guys to make sure that when the famine hit and you guys showed up needing some food and you're not from here, uh, someone would give it to you to reestablish the family in Egypt. So that they could continue, so that the family line could continue to grow. Honoring the, the promise to Jacob, to Isaac, to Abraham. For all the nations to be blessed. His understanding of God and who he is and how he works informed the pain to where he was like, yeah, that kind of stinks, but this is awesome now, right? Verse 6, he says... Uh, for famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. Hmm. He, he's past the point where he's even like, yeah, because of my like, dumb brothers, I'm here in Egypt. He's like, no, because of my amazing God, I'm here in Egypt. God used my dumb brothers and their jealousy and their whatever to get me here. But God is doing something greater, and now time has passed, and I can see it. And then in verse 50, where we start off, you can look at this one if you want to. Um, verse, eight, uh, verse 18, this is after their, brother, uh, their father had died, and they are worried that Joseph was going to just, he was just being nice to him while... Jacob was alive. 
So his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Everything we know about God and sin and humanity and the kingdom and all these things that we talk about, must, they must come into our processing of pain. Sometimes, you know, theology is kind of thought of as like, well, that's just kind of academic and it kind of doesn't really fit into my life. But God being holy, God being uh, omniscient and omnipresent and uh, infinite and timeless, like all those attributes we went through last fall, I believe it was, all those things fit into the processing of our hurt. And also the fact that he's gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, that fits in here. That the kingdom of God has come near, that those who were once far away are now brought near by the blood of Christ, that he is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, that he is all those things. That, it, that in the... Like, both can be true at the same time. The hurt that came your way is true and real and painful, and all those things are, are true at the same time. Even when they appear to contradict each other, they just appear to contradict each other. It's because we, our perspective is not such that we can understand how they all fit together. In Deuteronomy 29, it says that the things revealed to us, they belong to us and our children forever, that we can walk in every word of the law. That God has revealed all these things, all that list I just kind of went through, and so much more. He's revealed all those things so that as we're dealing with the fact that we are hurt by others and by ourselves and by life, and sometimes uh, what seems to be by the Lord, we can walk through all that stuff in the light of truth, not in blind darkness. That life of faith is not one that means it's uninformed. Our faith is, is like infinitely informed by all the things that we need to know. So sometimes when we're hurt, we want to push everything about God away because it seems like He wasn't there with us. What we need to do is draw all those things in and say, God, how in the world could this have happened and yet you be the boss? You know? how, can, how can that church, that pastor have hurt me so much, misled the congregation, all this kind of stuff, whatever. How can all that be true and you are the head of the church? And that's just, that's just one example from my life. There are hundreds of examples in this room alone of things that don't make sense. There's a, uh, I, don't, I don't talk about this a whole lot, but uh, I kind of like country music. You know? It feels, feels good to say that, you know. Uh, I like country music. Not new country, not bro country, like country music. I like outlaw country okay. My middle brother Drew is real into that. But more like 80s and 90s, you know, George Strait, Alan Jackson. John Michael Montgomery, you know what I'm talking about? There's a radio station called Gumbo 94.9 that you should probably check out. Anyway, 
There's a song that I heard uh, when I went, to, I went to counseling in 2009, and the guy doing my counseling referenced this song. And he just kind of told me what it said, and I never really, I remember it, of course, what he said, but I didn't, I didn't know the song and whatever. And it's a John Michael Montgomery song, and it's called The Little Girl. Does anybody know this song? Okay, good. Okay. It's a, such a sad song. Like, it's just awful. Awfully sad, but beautiful. And here's the, here's the, here's the crux of the song. The little girl grows up in a, in a home where her dad's an alcoholic, uh, or dad's on drugs, mom's an alcoholic, something like that. And there's just constant abuse and fighting and neglect. And that's just her normal, her normal everyday mode. And when they get to fighting, she hides behind the couch. And that's just how she grows up. One day, um, they're in a big like drunken fight. And the dad kills the mom, kills himself. And the little girl goes to live... Uh, with a foster family who takes her to church. So she's never been to church before. That's been her upbringing. Um, she goes to church, and she goes to Sunday school for the first time. She walks in, and she's looking at a picture of Jesus on the cross. And she says, uh, she says, I know that man. She said, I don't, I don't know his name, but I know he got down off of that cross because... He was behind the couch with me when my parents died. Yeah. That is where our theology fits into the processing of our hurt. That, God, where were you? That's a prayer, that's a question that God is not afraid of. God, how can your omniscience and your sovereignty and your goodness and your love, how can that all be true and yet this happened? This happens. This is happening. This is going to happen. He doesn't shy away from that. And in fact, I know a lot of people who have heard answers to that prayer. Then in the midst of difficulty, he's like, yeah, I was there. Yeah, I was crying. Yes, I was angry. Yes, I was hurting with you. And even though it may bring up more questions than it answers, the answers that we get are pretty awesome. I think that Joseph probably thought he was okay, and when his brothers walked in, he was obviously just emotional, emotional, emotional. But on the other side of working his way through that, time, tears, theology, whatever other words start with T you want to use, working your way through that gets you to the point where you're able to say, you know what, this was terrible. This should not have happened. And in the kingdom of God, this is wrong. And on the new earth, this will not ever happen. However... God has been good to me. He's been great to me. He was there with me. Over the, every moment of the passage of time, He's been with me in fullness. He's brought beauty from ashes, which is not to say that ashes aren't ashes. They're still ashes. That the most terrible thing that's ever happened in human history 
the crucifixion of the Son of God, that God still looks at that and says, that's bad. But yet, look at all the good that has come from it. We have to deal with the stuff that happens. It cannot paralyze us. It can't give us reasons to not love the Lord or love people. It can't give us reasons to not trust, to not walk in open, deep community. It can't give us reasons to push away from the Great Commission or doubt or be fearful or just bury our heads in the sand. That's not the gospel. The gospel is, is when Adam and Eve sinned and they were hiding in the trees and God says, come on out. The gospel says, come out of hiding. Come out, let's deal with, let's deal with the hurt, let's deal with the wounds. Next week we're going to talk about the, the restoration and the reconciliation and the forgiveness and that stuff with his brothers. But for tonight, maybe it's just about just the Lord, you know. Maybe it's just recognizing that because of what Jesus has done, the hurt that comes our way is not the end of the story. It wasn't the end for Joseph. It's not the end for you. It's not the end for me. There's a bigger story being written, and it has the best ending that anyone could ever come up with. And we don't have to wait until eternity for that to be the case. We can walk in that healing and forgiveness now. So I know I've been talking a lot. I know this seems a little bit heavy, but I, this, I think it's important. And so if, this, if hurt has kept you at bay, then maybe you can hear the Lord drawing you into, uh, into his love and grace. All right, let's stand together. We're just going to sing a little bit as we close. We're not going to we're not going to have communion tonight. We're not going to have anything like that. We're just we're just going to sing some songs that I think are filled with hope and confidence. Let me pray for us. Join me. God, no one is more familiar with pain than you. None of us have the the corner market on difficulty or agony or betrayal or neglect or anything like that. For Jesus, you have experienced all those things. Father, Son, and Spirit have all experienced the pain that sin has brought into the world in far deeper ways than we have. And I'm sure in this room there's a wide, uh, a wide spectrum of experiences and hurts. And this might hit closer to home tonight with some than others, but all of us are in this world that is, uh, that's just a struggle in this. And I just humbly ask God, that you would draw every one of us out further, further into your grace and your love. That whether we're hiding way deep in the trees, not, not wanting to even think about this stuff, or maybe we've been walking more and more toward you in this. I pray you just draw us further out. That we would believe deeply in the healing that you offer us through Christ, the healing that exists in your kingdom, 
that we would not uh, dismiss this or think it's impossible for us or for those that you are sending us to. And then as we sing, perhaps we, uh, perhaps some things can come alive in us. That we would trust you. That we would love you. We would respond in confidence to you. That we would acknowledge that in this world, we're going to have trouble. You, you guaranteed that for us. But you tell us to take heart. Because you've overcome all that has hurt us. You tell us to have hope. You tell us to have hope that is not just crossing our fingers. You tell us to have a hope that is alive because you are alive. And so as we respond, uh, just may we lift you up and may you offer us perspective and uh, hope.